Hey, hi and hello. I hope you're having a wonderful day. If you're new here, hi, my name is Harmony Miller. I'm your host here on What the Actual F. This is a podcast where I like to talk about true crime, murders, mysteries, paranormal, just kind of the darker side of life. If that's something you're into, you should definitely give it a listen. And if you do like it, follow the podcast. That would be greatly appreciated. So today we're actually going to talk about a few different cases, but the first one is about a man named Derek Medina, and I don't even know how to truly begin with this case. I'm going to do as much as I can, but I'm going to focus kind of on the the actual event because I want to do multiple cases today, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. So how do I start telling you about Derek Medina? Derek Medina was a self-published author. He also had an aspiring acting career. He uploaded several videos to YouTube, actually. Oh, and um, he turned himself in for killing his wife and posting it on Facebook. I feel like I should have started there. As you can imagine, this story is fucking crazy. It is set in Florida, and as a Floridian, I can tell you, This state scares the shit out of me sometimes. It's so odd and weird. And yeah, I I cannot tell you the amount of insane things I hear from my home state. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into the bizarre case of Derek Medina. Derek Vernon Medina was born March 23rd, 1982 in Florida. He did a lot of everything because to him, he wanted to be everything. I mean, he he was an amateur boxer. He had an unbeaten record as well, 25-0. Now, Derek actually kind of had an ego. He thought very highly of himself, which that's great. You can think highly of yourself. I actually hope all of you think very highly of yourself, but he took it to another level. As in, like, anytime he played anything, let's say he was playing basketball or golfing with his friends or playing pool at a bar, he was he would just very much come off like he was the shit. And I hope you guys understand what I'm saying here. I am not saying it's not okay to have a very high opinion of yourself. Please love yourself. But he was very narcissistic. That is exactly the word I'm looking for. Derek truly aspired to be several different things in his life. He wanted to be a professional boxer. He wanted to be a professional sportsman. And he, I think, is that how you say it? Is it sportsman? Sports, sports, athlete. A professional athlete is what he wanted to be. And he wanted to be a professional author, but he also wanted to be an actor. He was actually in Mr. and Mrs. Smith as Policia number two. So he, he was doing a lot and trying to do everything that he could. The man had dreams, apparently. Now, instead of becoming famous for all of these things, Derek Medina became famous after he posted the murder of his wife on his Facebook. Now, Derek was a self-published author, and I am definitely, by no means, an author, but Derek thought the first role of writing absolutely was to have a very long and obscure title to your book. I'm going to give you some of these examples. The first one, world. Just ask yourself why we are living a life full of lies and how I 
an emotional writer, made all of my professional dreams come true, blocking society's teaching. And another, if the world ended today, how would you react to saving the world or helping the world? Or would it all be over for you? And one more, how a judgmental and selfish attitude is destroying the world we live in because the world is vanishing beneath our eyes. Now, again, I am not anyone who edits books. I'm not an author. I would love to write a book, but I do believe that having a very long title and it kind of being all over the place might not be the best way to just start your book. I don't know though. Again, I said, I'm not a, I'm not an author. He did his thing. Now, Derek was very proud of his books. Every time he would release one, he would post a video showing where you can get it, saying the price and sharing kind of what the book was about. I feel with all of the things that Derek did in his life that he truly kind of wanted to be recognized. I mean, he actually wrote an acknowledgement and that acknowledgement said, I would like to thank all of the presidents of the United States of America and all of the presidents of countries worldwide and different governments. Thank you. Now, I am not saying that this wasn't meant in a well-intended way. What I feel is with all that this man was doing is he truly wanted to be seen. That's how it comes off. Now, through all of the things that he was truly trying to be, Derek actually had a job as a property manager. It actually, though, was very hard for him to hold down a job for more than a couple of months. Well, one day, Derek met Jennifer Alfonso, a single mother of a daughter, and she worked at a Denny's in South Miami. Derek and Jennifer apparently hit it off very, very quickly, fell in love, and got married within about a month of dating. Derek and Jennifer actually seemed to be pretty happy. Derek, Jennifer, Isabella, who was Jennifer's daughter, were all like this happy family together. One thing about Derek is he was very into the supernatural and paranormal side of life, and Jennifer was as well. They would often go on ghost tours in several different cities to kind of see what all was paranormal out there. This was an interest that they both had together and really brought them closer. Derek was so into the paranormal that he even put cameras up in his home in hopes of catching a ghost. Now remember, I said he put cameras up. That may be useful information later on in this case. I don't know yet. I don't want to spoil it for you. Even though it seemed as though Derek and Jennifer were happy, they fought a lot and often over petty, petty shit, but it would get very volatile and they would separate for a day, maybe two, and then they would get right back together and be happy and love and then fight again, get violent, yell and scream. Their relationship did seem as though they genuinely loved each other. It was just very volatile and unhealthy. Derek eventually ended up filing for divorce, and Jennifer got her own apartment, her and Isabella moved in there, and they seemed to be doing just fine. The divorce went through, everything carried on like normal, and then Derek started reaching out, and bam, they got back together, all of their problems were okay, everything was so happy. If that was actually the case, I wouldn't be telling you about Derek Medina. Things did not change, as often they don't. Derek had kind of the very jealous, rage-filled temper as a boyfriend or husband, and 
There was one incident where he heard about a man hitting on Jennifer at her work at Denny's. Well, he decided to stand outside with a gun in hopes that the guy would kind of just fuck with him. This is how Derek was. Now, Jennifer's friends even told Jennifer that they thought that Derek was insane and that he might try to kill her. Jennifer's friends would even say that they thought that Derek was insane and that he would kill her. Well, they were not wrong. On the morning of August 8th, 2013, Jennifer Alfonso woke up and she was already very upset with Derek as she had woken up late because he was supposed to wake her up and he had not done so. An argument did break out between them and afterwards Jennifer went downstairs to make pancakes for her daughter Isabella who was still upstairs during this time. As Jennifer was downstairs, Derek walked downstairs and into the kitchen where the argument continued and got progressively worse. Jennifer began hitting Derek in the chest. Derek then walks away, goes upstairs, and grabs a gun. Jennifer seeing this as he walks back into the kitchen grabs a knife. Derek disarms her and proceeds to shoot her eight times. He then calmly walks away, puts his gun back in his closet, tells Isabella to stay in her room, and grabs his phone. He then comes back down, takes a photo of Jennifer's dead body in their kitchen, and leaves the apartment. Now, side note, there is footage of this because as I said, David had cameras in his home because he wanted to catch a ghost. He caught everything. It is out of view, but you can see a lot. Please, if you look up anything when it comes to this case with the videos and pictures in post, discretion is truly advised. Moments after Derek left his apartment, he posted the photo to his Facebook with RIP Jennifer Alfonso and a status saying, I'm going to prison or death sentence for killing my wife. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Take care, Facebook. People, you will see me in the news. Quote unquote, my wife was punching me, and I am not going to stand anymore with the abuse, so I did what I did. I hope you understand me. Yeah. A few hours after all of this, Derek and his father went to the police, and he turned himself in. Shortly after Derek turned himself in, the police go to their house and find Jennifer dead in the kitchen, with Isabella still there, alone, with her deceased mother. There's a video where police are talking to Derek in the interrogation room, and they ask him, why did you turn yourself in? And he states, because I'm not a killer. It was self-defense. He went on in this statement to say, and I honored my country. I honor my state. I honor the city of South Miami. Derek said in the beginning of the argument, she was throwing things at him, such as towels, mascaras, creams, anything that she could grab, and then she began to punch him. He said he got hit in the face a few times, but he didn't sustain any real injuries. But this is when he decided to go upstairs and grab the gun. In this same interrogation, detectives asked Derek why he took a photo, and he said so that the family would know and be notified and they could rush over and get my stepdaughter. Derek did say that the main thing that pushed him was he was concerned about a hit to his temple and that he was afraid it could have been life-threatening. Detectives, they didn't believe this because as we know, Derek was a boxer 25-0. They didn't buy this. They also didn't believe that Derek would be in any real danger from Jennifer because she was physically a lot smaller than him. 
Not to mention, he did not call 911 immediately after everything happened. When investigators ask him why he did not call 911 from their apartment, he asks a question back. From the beginning of it all, or when I shot her? Investigators told him they wanted to know the answer to both. And he said, because I figured I had to solve it on our end. I've dealt with this for four years. I've never had to call the cops. We've been able to resolve it, and I didn't know it was going to get to this. Now, when the police hear that his wife has been abusive to him for the last four years, they then ask him, why did you never call the police if this is the case? And he just said, I just didn't, no. And this again, raised a bit of red flags to detectives. I do want to make a side note here as I know for a fact women can be abusive to men. I do not want this to come across as me stating that it is impossible. This is per what the detectives believe that yes, their relationship was very volatile, but they didn't believe that Jennifer had given Derek a severe hit to the head seeing as how he didn't have any injuries. So it wasn't exactly fitting into place for them to believe that this was 100% self-defense. It did not add up. So Derek was then arrested and charged with first degree murder. During a hearing of his, Derek had to be removed from the courthouse because of several outbursts he was making. I mean, he went so far in a hearing that he kind of looked like Charles Manson and he kept like being disruptive and getting pretty intense. I think he was trying to play up the uh, the Manson factor a bit. In this same hearing, when you, you can look up this actual video I'm talking about, you can basically look up everything I'm telling you. There are camera footage, there's pictures, there's a lot. But Derek looks like a version of Charles Manson. He has very long hair, which is completely different than how he was when he was arrested and how he kind of kept himself. He had a very long beard and every time the judge would speak, he would interrupt. He would try to speak and say things, which of course you cannot do in a courtroom until you are asked to speak. And this wasn't the first time that Derek had had outburst in his hearings. There was another one where he actually stood up and said, I do not want a jury. I would like the judge to decide my fate. In one of the hearings, he does go on with the interruption stating that there's video evidence of Jennifer trying to murder him and the judge is telling him to stop, to talk to his counsel and he persists and persists. He does not stop. He refuses to listen to this judge who is telling him that the court appointed uh, the, is it a tele telegrapher, the person who, you know, takes all the notes that she's warning him that anything he says can be held against him and that is why he needs to speak to his lawyer as he does not know how to approach this situation. They were in a discovery hearing and at that point everything needs to be gone through more so the counselors if you have them but you cannot sit and do what he was doing so he was removed from the court two years later his trial began now prosecution really they led with the fact that Derek was a undefeated perfect record boxer and that he basically did not take losing as an option and that he definitely wasn't going to lose that fight 
on August 8th, 2013 with his wife. It was either going to be a total end or he was the winner and in his mind he got both. But that was one of their main things and what really brought this fight I'm assuming to a tip because in the hearing it was brought up is that Jennifer called Derek a pussy and that really pushed him over the edge. So of course he wanted to win is how the prosecution brought it up. But the defense was that Jennifer was a physically and emotionally abusive person, that she mentally tortured him so bad. So one day he just snapped as he could no longer handle the mental warfare and physical abuse. Now, we could absolutely accept self-defense. Why not? People get in fights all the time. You hear about stuff getting out of hand and escalating. But what really kind of crushed that for him is the fact that he uploaded the photo to Facebook. Many critics of this case actually said that this was a symptom of society obsessed and fueled to be famous on social media. But Derek swears he did it to notify Jennifer's family of her death. Derek, I don't know if you know this, but there's such thing as like text messages and phone calls. I don't think you needed to put that on Facebook if it truly was self-defense. And I'm not trying to sound insensitive here. I'm not, again, I am not claiming this is self-defense, but he shot her. He shot her, left her daughter alone in the apartment with her mother's deceased body lying in the kitchen. Can you imagine that trauma? If it really was self-defense, could you not have called 911? I'm, I'm just trying to share obviously the facts here, but this, it does not scream self-defense to me at all. Prosecution continued to say it was his pride, his his ego, and when she threatened to leave him during that argument, calling him names, he then decided to murder her. And then in their eyes, because he had won, he had to brag about it and tell people, as many people do when they win. And in Derek's eyes, he had won. Now, the biggest thing that made self-defense seem very impossible was Isabella had stated in an interview, the only person I was afraid of was Derek because he was mean to mommy. After six hours of deliberation, the jury found Derek guilty of second degree murder. Now at his sentence, um, he actually wanted to get his lawyers heavily involved, stating that he will be suing the world. He then also claims that it's unfair that Unfriended, the movie, came out before his trials, and that is not fair to him. I have no idea how that relates, but he said that. But because of that, he says he did not get a fair trial and he will be taking action and suing. Also at his sentence hearing, several of Jennifer's family members spoke up about what had happened and the fact, the grisly nature, what he had done, taking a mother from her child and how this is not just self-defense, that this was absolutely pure rage and anger. Derek's lawyer said that the reason he had these strange outbursts during his hearing is because he had actually been in isolation since 2013, so he just wanted to make a statement and he did even though it did not make any sense. 
Derek got a life sentence and he tried to appeal this, but it did not work and the charges were held. He has to serve a minimum of 25 years before he is eligible for parole. So if you'd like to see the videos, um, you can look on YouTube and you can see the security footage when the cops come in of the argument. You cannot, in the film, see him shooting his wife. I, I do not recommend you look up the unedited version of his Facebook post. I, I don't recommend that. I'm, it's very, it's graphic, but if you do, please know I warned you it is very graphic. So that was the case of Derek Medina, the Facebook killer. for you is I'm not even sure how to kind of break it down to kind of give you a gist before we get into it but it's definitely a case of you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet this is the strange case of Janelle Potter Jennifer had trouble making friends where she lived in Mountain City Tennessee and this was around 2005 which means Facebook. Janelle got so into Facebook that she invented people who weren't actually real. Now, when someone unfriended her, these fictitious people that she had made up would have some real-life consequences. So let's go ahead and dive into the case of Janelle Potter. This story takes place in Mountain City. It's up at the very top of Tennessee. It's a small community with about 2,500 people bordering on Virginia and North Carolina. Mountain City is known as a very cheerful, friendly, God-oriented, welcoming town. Now in this case, there are an array of characters. Let's go ahead and talk about them. Let me start with Janelle Potter. Janelle was born in 1982. She was the second of the children in the family, and she grew up just outside of Philadelphia. Then in 2004, her family moved to Mountain City. Janelle's older sibling did not go with them to Mountain City. She actually ended up getting a job for herself and kind of staying on her own. But the family moved to Mountain City to tend to the elders in their family. Now Janelle had a lot of health problems. She was diabetic. She received disability, she also suffered from extreme anxiety, and she had a little bit of a learning disorder. Because of all of this, her parents became very protective of her because she did have a lot going on. Janelle had a really hard time making friends and socializing with other people, so she just kind of stayed to herself and stayed with her parents often, just clung to them. So the internet was her outlet to talk to people and make friends. And in 2004 to 2005, Facebook was just starting to take off. Side note, I, uh, I remember when I first made my Facebook, it was 2007. 
I, I feel old. Chanel's parents' names were Barbara and Martin Potter, and they actually moved to Mountain City to help with Barbara's mother. Now, Martin had a nickname known as Buddy. I don't know why, but that was his nickname, and he was a veteran, and according to himself, he even worked with the CIA. And Martin wanted everyone to know that he was a former soldier. He walked around with guns on him, he would wear his medals, he had a hat, he did all the stuff to let everyone know that he was a veteran. Now my father's a veteran and I'm not giving anyone any kind of stuff for this. I'm just trying to paint the picture of him for you. Just like his daughter, he was on disability as well, um, he had back problems, he even had an oxygen tank. But he, he draped that oxygen tank with bullets. Barbara had worked for Hewlett-Packard, but by the time they moved to Mountain City, none of them had jobs. A bit of time after Janelle and her family moved there, a woman by the name of Tracy Greenwall tried to get Janelle out of her shell, taking Janelle out and about, trying to get her to do things and just live her life. Well, through Tracy, Janelle ended up meeting a man by the name of Billy Payne. Billy was Tracy's brother, and Janelle, she liked him. Like a lot. Now Billy was seven years older and he grew up with his sister in Mountain City. He held a job at the local factory there and was also known to be kind of a, a fan of the ladies, a ladies man. Billy also struggled with addiction throughout his life and by the time he was 30 he was trying to get over his addiction to pills. In late 2009, a woman by the name of Billy Jean Hayworth started working in the factory alongside Billy. So Billy, the, the man, and Billy the girl, they fell in love and Billy wanted to make something out of this. He wanted to settle down. He wanted to get his, his life together. I mean, he'd been struggling with addiction for so long and he really wanted this to work. So he gave up all of his drinking, his going out with other ladies, and the pills. And in July of 2011, Billie Jean gave birth to their son. So he, Billie Jean, and their son Tyler were a happy family. But Janelle was developing a crush on Billie. Well, Tracy, Billie's sister, decided to send Janelle on a date or try to set her up with another man named Jamie Kurt. He was an older man, he had a lot of interest in computers, which him and Janelle actually had in common. And wouldn't you believe it, Jamie and Janelle actually became a very serious, happy couple. Janelle hid the relationship though from her parents. He would come by the Potter household and, you know, do what he wanted, nah. but he would go by there, yet the parents had no clue that Janelle and him were actually a couple. Jamie actually gave Janelle a secret phone because her parents monitored everything she did, all of her communications, and that way they could talk and their parents would not know. Even though this relationship really seemed to be going very well, Janelle still had a thing for Billy Payne. And this is where things kinda go really south. Extremely hurtful, cruel comments started to appear anonymously on Janelle's Facebook page. Her parents would post asking these people to please stop. She got so broken down with everyone just messaging her and posting truly awful, horrible things. But Janelle had her suspicions on who could be behind all of this. It was none other than Billie Jean Hayworth, according to Janelle. 
two did not get along. Billie Jean was engaged to Billie, and they had a child together. And Janelle, she was very jealous of this. So it got so bad that Janelle and her father actually went to the police to tell them about what was happening and what she was receiving online. Then it went from Facebook to real life. Rocks were being thrown at the Potter house. And the Billies, they wanted it to be known that it was them. They even wrote their names on these rocks because like, they're super bright. <laughs> Smart as a box of rocks. Well, then Bill and Billie Jean, they did the worst thing they could have done. They unfriended Janelle on Facebook. This is when shit truly just went down. Between the hours of 10 and 11 a.m. on January 31st, 2012, a 911 call was placed. The call begins with a girl saying, hello, I need an ambulance fast. She says, there's no pulse, they're white, they're dead. And please brace yourself because this is very rough. She says, there's a baby involved. He don't look right. And she states that the baby's in one room, she's in the other by the playpen. And she continues by saying, it kind of looks like she's trying to get to her baby. A friend had come into Billy and Billie Jean's house and found them both brutally murdered. Luckily, six-month-old Tyler was alive in his deceased mother's arms. The community was absolutely shocked and broken by this. So what happened? Well, a few hours before the 911 call was placed, intruders came into the home and shot Billy in the head. So what happened? A few hours before the 911 call was placed, intruders had broken into their home, shot them both in the head, and slit Billy's throat as well. The intruders did all of this without really disturbing the place. So in the beginning, any real evidence wasn't even tangible. There weren't really any fingerprints. There were no bullet casings. There wasn't any forensics available in their findings. They couldn't find anything that could link anyone, so to speak. The job almost seemed as though it was a professional hit due to how clean it actually was. There was truly nothing found that could hint to anybody. But Billy and Billie Jean were fighting with somebody before this, if you remember. So police went to talk to the Potters. I mean, they had a dispute, a pretty rough one, you know, there's rocks being thrown, uh, unfriending somebody on Facebook. I mean, no, there's a movie about that. You don't do it. So police go to the Potters and they talk to them. They say that they are investigating a double homicide and that it's a very serious matter. Buddy says that everybody always points the finger at them for something during this conversation. The investigators let them know that there's nobody pointing their fingers. That they really wanted to just know if they knew of anyone that would want to hurt them. Janelle responds by saying, no, actually I don't. And I feel bad about this situation because I didn't want no harm on them. She continues with, 
They've been harassing me in my driveway and on our property. And then yesterday morning, when I got on Facebook, is when I found out. And um, I'm sorry it happened, but I mean, that's all I can tell you is they, they had been harassing the living crap out of me. When investigators asked what the harassment from the Billies was about, she said that Janelle said it came out to be a jealousy thing, that they said Janelle was too pretty. The police then asked about Jamie. They knew he was kind of rough around the edges and maybe just didn't have the best uh, presentation in their eyes. And they knew that he was Janelle's secret boyfriend. When investigators actually asked Janelle what Jamie is to her, she says, quote unquote, he's just a friend. We've been friends for years. Barbara then says, he's friends of our family. Buddy says, he's friends to all of us, to me. That's when investigators ask, is Jamie kind of like your boyfriend? Janelle and Buddy both say no almost at the same time. Janelle then says, he's just a really good friend. She even says she doesn't believe that he wants to be her boyfriend. Well, of course the police are gonna talk to Jamie. They actually bring him in and get him to do a polygraph. When asked about the identity of the killer, he fails, but they don't really give him anything. An investigator even said to him that, quote unquote, I think you went in there and said, I'm gonna take care of this situation. I'm gonna take care of people who mess with Janelle. This investigator continued and said, people ain't gonna mess with my girl no more. This is when Jamie says, she's not my girl. He's immediately told that he can basically lie and say that, but he knows it's not true. The investigator asked him if he was the only one there when the two were killed. And Jamie says, no, I wasn't there. But then Jamie does something really bizarre. He asks, is the CIA here? This kind of throws the investigator for a loop. He's just like, uh, what? CIA? No. When asked why he asked if the CIA were here, he said, because uh, they say he works for them. Of course, the investigators are like, <laughs> excuse me, what? So then Jamie goes on to tell them that he had actually been in contact with a secret CIA agent. That's right, a secret CIA agent by the name of Chris, right there in Mountain City. Chris told Jamie that his job was to protect the Potters, Janelle. You know, monitor and watch everything that was going on. He was her silent protector. Think the FBI guy in your phone that, you know, monitors. <laughs> And I'm laughing because I, I'm thinking of all the memes and stuff. But this one, instead of just watching, is the CIA. So of course they're like, no, we must protect. Uh, or something, I guess, is what he said. I don't know. This is Chris from the CIA. I don't know the inner workings of the CIA. But basically, that the nation was counting on Chris to protect Janelle and the Potters. You might be wondering, <laughs> why the fuck does the CIA give any hell about Janelle and the Potters? <laughs> Obviously, they have some sort of high value somewhere, and the White House wanted them protected. After several hours of interrogation, Jamie made a startling confession. That it was Buddy 
that shot Billy and Billie Jean. That's right, you guessed it. Billy, the disabled veteran with an oxygen tank that could barely move, was a murderer. Buddy once said that he worked for the CIA. And then there's this mysterious Chris who works for the CIA as well. A bit odd, don't you think? So, you know how I had stated that Buddy, or Martin, he always seemed to have a gun on him, and when the police came up to talk to him, it seemed as though he was gonna grab it, and the police grabbed his arm instead. They then handcuffed him and brought him into the station. When asked if he knows why he's there, he says that somebody told you I'm the one who killed somebody. He says, I'm not gonna tell you I did something I didn't do. The investigator tells Buddy that he thinks that Buddy just got kind of tired of the fact that people were harassing his daughter, you know, to him the most precious person that he could have. Buddy goes into detail and says that ever since all of this crap started, I've been, I've had my life threatened, my wife has been threatened, they've threatened to take Janelle and cut her head off. When you hear people plotting to take your, to catch your daughter in a restroom and murder her, in that same statement he's crying and ends it with, it's just so much shit. That's when the investigator leans in kindly and softly and says, right now, do Janelle and Barbara know what you did? And Buddy reluctantly says, no. After just a few hours, they had it. They had the confession. They had two people that seemed to kind of be involved with this murder at this point. Of course, when they got the search warrant and went to the Potter's house, they found an um, I, like an astonishingly insane amount of guns. There were 60 of them, give or take. It, it's, a, it's between like 50 something to 60 something. There were a lot. They even found photos of Billy and Billie Jean, and on these photos were not the nicest things written. The police then took the truck and the family computer as well. In the back of the Potter's truck, they actually found a bunch of bags of shredded papers. Now, you might think, oh well, that's shredded, what are they gonna, what are they gonna find? Well, an officer spent roughly about one month piecing everything back together and ultimately unraveling this fucking crazy story that could absolutely be a lifetime movie. They were emails that were from no other than CIA Chris. One of these emails from Chris said a bit of some stuff. I'm gonna kind of give you a rundown that he was about a thousand yards away from the mom's house, that he could see everything, that they were probably wondering what his job was for the CIA and that it was also him working with ICE overseas, keeping girls from being traded, and that for the CIA, he killed and he enjoyed that a lot. That he actually got to shoot all the bad guys. Yeah, he said that. Um, and with 
NYX or NICS. Wow, I should have known what that was. I've, there's a show. Um, that he works with some of the Marines overseas and he knows everything that's going on over there. That they needed to also always carry a gun on them and they needed to make sure that they had hollow points in those guns. This CIA Chris guy even puts in one of the emails, Yes, I'm sure it's getting to Janelle. She is going to die here. I feel with all this crap. Well, if he needs to do anything, buddy, get Bill first. Because he's really mean and an asshole. Wow. That, if I, if I didn't know any better, I would swear that came directly from a CIA agent. Obviously. He even ended the email with, damn fucker. Another email just starts with kill, 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 and says that Buddy needs his ID back so that he could be doing what Chris is doing and they can work together, you know? Chris told the Potters that Buddy could get CIA clearance because he used to work for the CIA, you know? And what does Chris do? Well, he works for the CIA. Should I say CIA again? <laughs> I'm going to read you uh, an email from Barbara Potter to CIA Chris. Hi Chris, Bud was wondering when we would be contacted to meet and pick up his ID that you spoke of some time ago. Just for your info, he is home every day now, as I am home. He can come alone because Janelle can be with me. He is actually wondering if there is an ID or not. They call him and he'll put in his code and meet wherever. Now, CIA Chris responds to this and says, But yes, I saw the ID. They have not given it to him yet. That's what makes me so mad. They will say they will do it and then they have not called him yet. I told my boss about it and he said yes. Now, the thing with these emails is the typing is very similar. I, 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 if I say so myself, it's very similar. There's emphasized words in, in like all of these emails between CIA Chris and the family. Chris tells the Potters that he has killed often in his, his work, and Barbara says that as long as you're doing the right thing for mankind, you won't be judged badly. Even says in an email, if it's like Buddy did, you are helping others get rid of the bad. They basically went back and forth a lot talking, you know, about what Chris did and that Buddy could get CIA clearance, use their weapons, and get those jobs done. You know? There was a lot of you knows in the emails. Great. I'm probably going to say you know from now on for like the next three months because I read it so much. You know? Also, when Barbara would write to Chris, like her grammar wasn't exactly the best and we all make mistakes. I mean, if you don't, you are amazing. But I've typed and it's been too fast, but it was a common thing and she has one where she says, Bill never acts along. We know of some he's been in on killing and girls being robbed. There, it's no secret. So they may as well accept the loss and go on with their lives because they are not going to get Janelle. There is no way between out heavy quantities of ammo and protection of her at all times and your, as in why you are, alls, they are going to get the surprise of their lives. 
That's that's actually how she wrote it. I probably sounded like I was having a mild stroke, but that's how it was written, and I was just trying to keep it true to the words. But Barbara even says in this that if somebody wants to bring it on, they will all die, including the baby. Then she says, so you think it will be in a week or so? Things will be happening. We are thinking different slash sooner and ready. If you're confused at all, believe me, it's confusing explaining these emails. She does say in an email that no one here wants to kill anyone, but we will. One that CIA Chris wrote to Jamie said, she is a good person. These is, these is girls are just driving her so crazy. The girls were Billie Jean and her friends, by the way. Um, and you know, they are crazy. But what they are doing is still fucking ring. Like, it's supposed to be wrong, and it says ring. And hurting her like they are. There is no resin, as in supposed to be reason, for it. Just B slash C, which is exactly how the other emails are as well. Because she is sweet and very pretty prettier, as in Y-E-R, than them. Not even the correct them, by the way, or then. They need to get over it. They need to get over it. They just love to pick, but from what I know, something will happen to them in time. With you and Buddy, I hope you can all get them, and that you know what you are all doing is great. You're going to help the town. I wish I could kill them, but right now, I really can't. So these emails basically told a odd tale of this CIA agent being assigned to take care of them and keeping an eye on them. And uh, they just emailed a lot, especially Chris and Barbara. It kind of seemed like Barbara may have had a thing for Chris. And Chris told basically Jamie that there was a conspiracy to hurt and kidnap or kill Janelle. And that Billy and Billie Jean Hayworth were just sick and twisted, complete evil people. They were the ones that were going to do something horrible to Janelle. Even said that Bill and Billie Jean were Satanist and they would abuse women everywhere. And that Janelle, she's next. So obviously Chris was there to watch everything and do all that he could to stop it. What these all showed was Barbara had been talking to this CIA Chris for so long and finally after so many months and so much time of talking to him, it fed her own head and she convinced Buddy to murder Billy and Billy Jean. Well, of course, police wanted to find this CIA Chris, you know, the, the Chris guy in the CIA. So they traced his IP address. And it was none other than Janelle who was sending all of those emails. Dun dun dun! That's right. There is no CIA Chris. There is only Janelle. I mean, it's it shocks me. Like, I, you should look at the emails. It's astonishing that that wasn't a CIA agent with his incredible grammar and getting to kill all those bad guys, as he stated. Also, Billy and Billie Jean had no idea that any of this stuff was really happening, or at least not the extremes of it. 
that's right. All of those anonymous comments, the rocks being thrown, Janelle did all of it. They may have known of some minor things, but they didn't do any of the stuff that was claimed. Janelle did all of it, and they themselves, Billy and Billie Jean, stayed away from her because they thought that she was crazy. And the morning of the murders, Janelle sent text to Jamie saying, yeah, I hear my dad. He's, he's going over there right now. She knew that Buddy and Jamie were going to go kill Billy and Billie Jean. And that morning, Buddy and Jamie went over there and murdered two innocent people, completely orphaning a little boy over a sick and twisted scheme. Janelle and Barbara were then arrested once this was all uncovered. Marvin, I apologize, I said Martin earlier because I, how I had written it down, I've been calling him Buddy, but Buddy, or Marvin Potter, um, and Jamie Curd were charged with first-degree murder in Billy and Billie Jean's deaths. I don't think I said this, but I also want it to be known, Billy Payne was Jamie's cousin, by the way. It had also come to light that during all of this, before the Billies had been murdered, they actually put a harassment claim against the, the Janelle, against Janelle Potter. Buddy obviously confessed. He ended up getting two life sentences. Jamie, he took a plea deal and he got 25 years. Then in 2015, Janelle and Barbara had their trial. The prosecution basically said that Janelle was absolutely the mastermind behind all of this, pretending to be Chris. They came from her emails. That all of the spelling mistakes and how Chris wrote was just like Janelle. Then the defense said, no, that's impossible. She's She's got the mind of a child. She wouldn't be able to do this. She's got health issues. She could not cook something like this up. But the biggest plot is during the trial, the real Chris spoke. And he wasn't a CIA member. He was an ex-classmate. The biggest dun-dun-dun movie moment, <laughs> movie moment for real, for the trial was when the Chris that had appeared in the pictures Janelle used as the CIA agent and the identity. He spoke and he was an ex-classmate of Janelle. And basically the prosecution said that her motive was if she couldn't have Billy, then she'd be damned because nobody else will. Janelle and Barbara were found guilty of first degree murder and they both got life in prison. This all happened. Two people lost their lives, a child that's growing up without their parents, all because of Janelle Potter. And she, to this day, still says that Chris is a real person and that she is not guilty at all. That's right, the Chris that was proven to not even be a real person. She says there's no way he's real. There's even an interview where a reporter is stating that Chris is not real. You invented him like all your other characters. 
and she's crying saying no no even when this reporter says that you know these emails came from your computer she is just denying so sadly Janelle has never taken any responsibility in all of this and that that is heartbreaking especially for the family and just everything that happened so that was the strange case of Janelle Potter. So those were the cases of Derek Medina and Janelle Potter. Derek, a man who was fueled by his ego and never wanted to lose, and Janelle, a woman who lived in her own delusions. I hope you guys enjoyed this, and I look forward to giving you guys more true crime, mysteries, and paranormal from all over. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you guys next time.